imperfection in my voice is shown to everyone. And I look like a fool, right? And so I went through with it. I, I sang the solo, and some of you were like, man, how did it go? Well, you haven't heard me sing a solo since I've been on staff here, so that's how it went. It was terrible. It was awful, and I've never sung a solo since then. And the reason that I was so scared, the reason that I wanted somebody else to sing with me is because their voices were going to drown out how terrible my voice was. Right. And, and so we've been in this series the past couple of weeks called and some of you maybe forgot we were in a series because it's been a little while. But we've been in a series called It's Not You, It's Me. And we're trying to conquer this victim mentality of blaming other people for our sins. And the last time we were together, we learned about judging and the improper way to judge. And a lot of times the reason that we judge people is the same reason that I wanted to sing in the choir rather than singing in the solo. Because when everybody has worse problems than you, when there's a choir of people that are drowning out how bad your life is, when you're constantly pointing to how terrible other people act, when, you're try when you work on getting the focus on other people, that doesn't make you look as bad. right? You don't look as bad when there's a choir of people behind you that are living lives that might be worse than you. And so what we've been doing in this series is learning how to conquer this victim mentality. And so I want to talk to you a little bit, and we learn, we're going to learn tonight that that's the total wrong, wrong motivation for judging someone. That's, that's the completely wrong motivation. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit of where we've been so far. We started off this series in Genesis chapter 1, and we learned the three people that we blame for our sin. We blame other people, just like Adam did. He said, God comes to Adam in the garden and he's, he says, man, well, Adam, why did you eat the fruit? And, and Adam says, the woman, okay? And so he blames someone else that thou gavest to me. So he blames God. So we blame others. We blame God. And then Eve, she blames Satan. So those are the three people we blame. You know, when we sin, it's either, man, it's somebody else's fault, it's God's fault, or it's Satan's fault. And then the next week we were in Psalm 51 and we learned that David was able to own up to his sin. So we learned that the wrong response to sin is blame. The right response to sin is ownership, being, being open, honest about our sin, owning the fact that we are sinners. And, and so we've been in a journey trying to figure out how do we get from Genesis 1 to Psalm, or Genesis 3 to, John, to Psalm 51? How do we get there? And the first uh, step we, we talked about was owning your guilt, recognizing the fact that you are guilty, that every single one of us, when we stand before a holy God, we are going to be found guilty. And not one of us without Jesus is going to be innocent before God. And then next we learned that we need to judge properly. And we're in part two kind of of that, that message. And so we're in Matthew chapter seven and Jesus, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So he's talking to primarily his disciples in this, in this story. And Jesus has taught them a bunch of stuff. This is the last chapter of, of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter seven. And, and we learned last time that what Jesus is telling us in this passage is not that we shouldn't judge, right? Remember, uh, Jesus is not telling us don't judge in this passage. And you'll hear that all the time. You know, the Bible says don't, don't judge. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying don't judge. Jesus is explaining how to judge because there's a wrong way and a right way to judge. We learned last time the, about the wrong way to judge. We learned that the wrong way to judge is judging with a self-righteous spirit and, and judging someone forgetting about the fact that you have sinned. 
But we have to recognize that, that we ourselves are sinners before we ever have the opportunity to, to judge someone else. And so this is the mindset of saying, so if you're, you're judging with the self-righteous spirit, this is the person that when somebody walks into the church, you're, you're like, man, did you see what she was wearing? Man, did you see the, 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 or did you hear the music that he was listening to? Man, I'm so much better than them. I, I, I'm like super Christian up here. And then the other side is, is judging with an attitude or, or a spirit that says that, man, I, I'm better than they. Like, I, I don't have any sin. I don't have sin that I need to deal with. And you're constantly focused on other people's sin. And, and so that's where we are. Jesus, he's talking about the moat and the beam. And, and so we get to chapter number seven. And I'm going to read the first four verses just for context, but really we're going to camp out in verse number five. So we're going to start reading verse number one. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye, ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. First, cast out the beam out of thine, or cast the beam out of thine own eye. And then thou shalt see clearly to cast the moat out of thy brother's eye. So it's that fifth verse that Jesus tells us how we are to judge people. So in the first four verses, he is saying this is what not to do, right? We talked about that last week. Don't judge someone with a self-righteous spirit, acting like you're better than them. Don't, don't judge someone forgetting about the fact that you are also a sinner. And then we get to verse number five and Jesus says, okay, this is how you are to judge someone. And he gives two ingredients of proper judgment. And the first ingredient is that proper judgment has to be honest. Look what he says in, in verse number five. He says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam, out of, or cast the beam out of thine own eye. Jesus says, look, you, you can't go to your brother and say, hey, you've got this problem. You've got this little splinter, a, a moat in your eye when you have this beam sticking out of your own eye. In other words, look, you can't go to your brother and try to correct their life, try to, try to fix sin in their life, try to help them conquer sin in their own life if you've got this giant sin in your life. Like you have to, you have to figure out your life, you have to figure out your sin before you're, you're going to be able to go to someone else. In other words, look, you need to be honest about your sin before you have any right to judge someone else for theirs. And this is so prevalent in our life, isn't it? We, we like to, to act like, man, I'm perfect. I, I don't have anything wrong. And we like to point out the little flaws in everybody else's life. And Jesus says, look, you have no right to do that unless you're willing to deal with your sin first. You have to be honest. This idea of honesty is all throughout the New Testament. This is why when Paul is writing to the church at Rome in, in Romans chapter 7, he says this. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I, do I not. But what I hate, that I do. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I than do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In other words, what Paul is saying there is, look, you think you're bad. I've got some serious problems in my life. Like, I've got some serious sin that, that my body, my, spe- my, my flesh, it wants, like, desperately. And this is something that, that we, don't, we, don't, we don't feel that comfortable. Like, we don't feel comfortable going up to somebody in the church and confessing the fact that we have desires that are sinful. No, no, we want to act like we've got it all together, right? But Paul, he's honest with the people that he's trying to disciple. See, this is, this is what discipleship really is. We have something here called discipleship. It's our discipleship class, and it's awesome. If you haven't gone through it yet, it's, it's really good. I encourage you, you get to have a relationship with Pastor Yoder that you otherwise wouldn't have. You get to hear him teach in a way that you otherwise wouldn't. And so it's a really good thing. And what it is is you go through and you get taught by pastor, and it's, it's amazing. And that's, what, that's part of what discipleship is. It's really good. But another part of discipleship that I think often we, we forget about is when Jesus calls his disciples. If we go back to the Gospels and Jesus, he calls his disciples, he says, follow me, like come and be my disciples. And Jesus didn't then pull out a binder and begin to teach them, right? What he did was he said, come and do life with me. And part of that was teaching, which is exactly what we do. But part of it was just them being with Jesus. That's what discipleship was. Jesus says, hey, come and do life with me. And so because he did that, what the disciples saw, they saw Jesus on the mountain, right? They, they saw Jesus when he rose Lazarus from the dead. They saw Jesus when he healed a leper. They saw Jesus when he healed a blind man. They saw Jesus when he fed 5,000 people. I mean, they saw some Jesus at some pretty awesome times. But then they also saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is about to go through the worst pain anyone has ever experienced, being separated from his father, he cries, he sweats drops of blood, he's weeping. See, they saw Jesus at some really amazing points. But they also saw Jesus at some low points. And they got to witness how he responded to them. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is allowing someone to go through life with you, which tells me that the majority of us in this room are discipling some in one way or another. Either we're discipling them the wrong way or we're discipling them the right way, but anyone around you that you do life with, your disciple, your wife, your husband, your kids, your, your friends, you are discipling. You're allowing them to see you in the really amazing points, you're, you're, you're able to, they're able to see you when you get that new job, when you get that pay raise, when, when they get a good grade in school, but then you're also able to see how they react to the valleys. That's what discipleship is. And in order, listen, this is so important. What Jesus is saying here, because this whole idea is about correction. The whole idea of judgment is about correction. So he's saying in order to disciple someone properly, you have to be honest about your sin. You cannot properly disciple your spouse if you're not honest about the things that you struggle with. You cannot properly disciple your children if you're not honest about your failures. You cannot 
properly disciple your friends if you're not honest about the times that you've messed up. Jesus says, look, in order to disciple someone properly, you have to be honest about your sin. And you might say, man, it's hard. Because nobody wants to confess that. Nobody wants to confess the, the times that they've messed up. Nobody wants to confess the times that, that you took a double look at something that you shouldn't. Nobody wants to confess the times that you overreacted about something. No one wants to confess the times that you, you, you reacted in a wrong way to your spouse or to your kids. And nobody wants to confess those. Nobody wants to admit that they're wrong about those times. But Jesus says in order to disciple someone properly, you have to. It's, it's not an option. Because you can't correct someone else if you're not honest about your own struggle. So when you set your mind on your own sin, rather than the sins of others, two things happen. First of all, it creates a heart of thankfulness that God could love someone as, sin, as, as sinful as Right? It's the times in my life when I am focused on my own sin that I'm the most thankful for my father. The Bible says that Jesus, in 1 Peter 2.24, that he bear on himself our sins. Every, every sin that we've ever done, Jesus took that on himself when he was on the cross. Every sin. And when you think about how sinful we are, man, that's a lot of sin. And it's the times that, that, that I think about my sin that I'm most thankful for my father, but then it also creates a heart of compassion toward those that are sinful, toward those that you're trying to disciple. Because we need that compassion. I can't disciple someone well if I'm not compassionate about them. And the way that I'm compassionate about them is being honest about my sin. This is not saying that you have to be perfect to disciple someone. Otherwise, none of us would be able to. But what it is saying is that you have to be honest about the sins that you struggle with. A few months ago, uh, we went to the Heartland Youth Conference. And... Uh, I struggle to tell the story because I don't, I don't tell the story to make myself sound good. I, I, I tell this to, to show you that it has good results. We, we went to Heartland Youth Conference, which is always f f interesting driving uh, 10 hours with a bunch of teenagers in the van. That's a different story. We got down there, and the entire week, the Lord was working on my heart about something. I had said some things about someone else in my life that, was, that they were unkind. They weren't helpful. I had gossiped about them. And so the Lord was putting on my heart, Nick, you need to confess it to them. Like, you need to make this right. You, you need to go to them. You need to text them. You need to call them. You need to make sure that this is right. And the entire week, I was, I was just wrestling with this. Like, God, is this you? Like, like you know, I was doing, what, like, the whole fleece thing. God, if this is you, like, make a pigeon fall from the sky. Or No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But I'm trying to figure out, man, what do I do? I'm wrestling with this. Gets to the end of the week, and the last message just really, like, hit my heart. And so I got on my phone, I texted that person, I said, hey, here, I was specific, I said, hey, here's what I said about you, and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive. And they did, praise the Lord, they forgave me, and everything's good in that relationship. And I could have just stopped it. I could have just said, you know what, everything's good, I'm fine, I don't, I don't need to do anything. We went back to the Airbnb that we were staying at, and the Lord just said, look, Nick, if you want these teenagers to be honest with you about their struggles, why don't you get honest with them about yours? And so what I did was I told them the whole story. I said, look, I, I said some things that were unkind about someone. And I tonight went to them and I asked them forgiveness. 
because I want the teenagers to see that their youth pastor is not perfect. Because I want them to follow Jesus. I don't want them to look at me as God. Right? For the young adults that come over to, to Gabby and I's house every other Friday night and they come to focus, I guarantee you they are probably going to see me respond wrong to something that Gabby says, and I'm going to, to respond in a way that's not godly. Like, as you're discipling people, they are going to see you respond to things in ways that are sinful because you are sinful. I am sinful. But how you respond to that is really important. See, for some of us, what our spouse needs to hear is for us to go to them and to say, hey, I'm sorry for how I reacted to what you said earlier. I'm sorry for snapping at you. Would you forgive me? What some of our kids need to hear us say is, hey, I'm sorry that I got so angry with you that, that, I, that I responded wrongly. Or, hey, I'm sorry for being distant. I'm sorry for putting work before you. I'm sorry for, for, for X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. But some of us, our family and our friends and our spouse and our kids, they need us to be honest about our sin. They need to see us uh, re, like, like confess. The Bible says in James that we're to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another. Like, we need to get honest. Because what Jesus is saying is you have no right to correct someone until you're honest. We have to, we have to judge honestly. But then, not only do we have to judge honestly, but every judgment has to be with the heart of restoration. Look at verse number five again. He says, first, cast out the beam, or cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou be see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. This is how we know that Jesus is not saying not to judge. Because what he says is, hey, first deal with your sin, and then go to your brother and tell them about the 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 beam or the moat in their eye. So he's saying, hey, first deal with your sin, but then after you deal with your sin, after you're honest, look, you have a right to go to that person. But he's not saying go to them with that self-righteous spirit, with that I'm better than you spirit, or, or with the spirit that says, hey, I don't have any sin. Like you've dealt with your sin. Now you have the right to go to them. He, he's not saying to go to them with a condescending spirit. He's not saying to go to them and beat them down. He's not saying to go to them and bash them, tell them how terrible they are, tell them how worthless they are, tell them how disgusting their sin is. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you go to them with the heart of restoration. With the heart of trying to restore them. Our goal, anytime we correct someone, anytime we judge someone, if we judge someone with a heart, anything other than wanting to restore them, then it's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's satanic. Anytime we judge someone without the heart of restoration, and this, this heart is all throughout Scripture. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So Paul's saying, hey, look, if you see a guy or a, or a woman and they're overtaken in a fault, like they have this sin that they just can't get out of their life, then you're to restore them. Not to bash them, not to gossip about them, not to talk about them behind their back, not to go home and talk about them in front of your kids, not to talk with your spouse about them, but you're to go to them and to restore them back to their father. And then he says, in the spirit of meekness. That's being gentle with them. 
That's Galatians 6 1. Well, well then in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is speaking of a man who, who has committed a disgusting sin. He, he is sleeping around with his mother in law. Disgusting, right? And we get to 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul says this. He says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we are gathered together and my and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one, that's talking about that man, to uh, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So what he's saying is, look, don't keep this guy uh, uh, around the church. Stop fellowshipping with this guy. Stop acting like his sin is okay. You're to deliver them uh, him unto Satan. He, he's not part of the church. He's not a believer. And then he says this, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says we're to deliver him unto Satan in order that he accepts the gospel. We're to deliver him unto Satan. We're to allow this to keep, like, like make sure that he knows that you don't agree with this. This is wrong in order that he puts his faith in Jesus. It's for the purpose of restoration. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives this process of church discipline, how we are to handle as a church open sin. And he says this, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell them, tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. So, hey, look, if somebody does something against you, you go to them, not to somebody else. You go to him and you say, hey, this is what you did. And he says, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to talk about you that way or I didn't mean to say that that offended you. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Jesus says, good, you've gained a brother. We move on. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So, hey, if he doesn't hear you, if he doesn't apologize, if he doesn't confess his sin to you and ask forgiveness, then you bring two or three more, you tell them, or you tell him again, hey, this is what you did, and, and I'm offended, and so would you, would, like, I want to restore this relationship. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. So Jesus is saying, hey, Take it as far as you need to go in order for this relationship to be restored. And if you take it to the church and you take it as far as it needs to go, and then he says, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So a lot of people take that to mean, man, we're to get rid of him and cast him out, never talk to him again, stop fellowshipping with him, like stop going to lunch, like, like completely like get rid of that guy. That's not what Jesus said. He's very specific in his word. He says, treat him as an heathen man or public. So here's my question. As a church, how are we to treat people who are unsaved? How do, how do we treat them? We love them. We share the gospel with them. Jesus isn't saying, look, completely get rid of him. No, he's saying, I want him to be restored to me. I don't want him to spend eternity in hell. I want him to, to come back to me. I want him to put his faith in me because that's not the, the, the fruit of a believer. And so I want him to put his faith in me. So I want you to love him and to share the gospel with him so that he's restored. Anytime scripture talks about restoration or, or judgment or correction in the New Testament, it's always for the purpose of restoration. And if we ever 
speaking of myself as well, have this attitude of wanting to judge someone, wanting to talk about someone, wanting to, to tell someone about how terrible they are for any purpose other than the purpose of restoring them to their father, it is Satan. Because proper judgment is always for the purpose of restoration. Whether we're going to someone and saying, hey, you posted this on social media. I don't think this, this was right. I don't think this is what a believer should post. May you do that. If you do it, it better be in, for the purpose of restoring. May I heard you listening to this song and I, I heard the cuss words and I heard them talking about content that just isn't appropriate and so I'm concerned about you. Man, if you go to them and you talk to them, Jesus says that's fine as long as you've dealt with your sin first, you've gotten honest, but it has to be for the purpose of restoration. If you go to your kids and you say, hey, I'm, I'm worried, I'm concerned about you in this area, Jesus says, hey, it better be for the purpose of restoration. You go to your spouse and tell them about something that they did, and, and you're like, hey, this made me angry, this frustrated me. And Jesus says, that's fine, but it better be for the purpose of restoration. Because so often in our life, we, we, don't, we, we don't actually want restoration. I'm, ta- I'm speaking to myself as well. We don't want them to be restored. We just want to tell them why they're wrong. And Jesus says, that's ungodly. Anytime, anytime, and I, and I say this, to be very, very abundantly clear, any time that we correct someone, it should always be for the purpose of restoration. In my life, I can get to times where I'm, I'm judgmental toward people just to make myself feel better about me. Right? And Jesus says, that's ungodly. It's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for the church. It's definitely not good for the world that we're trying to win to Jesus. But So Jesus says, look, you have no right to judge someone. You have no right to correct someone until you've first gotten honest about your sin. You have to be honest. You can't disciple someone properly until you're honest. And then he says, you can't, you can't correct, you can't judge someone unless it's for the purpose of restoration. It has to have a restorative spirit. So this week, rather than gathering as much dirt on people as we possibly can, rather than constantly pointing the finger at other people so that we can collect that choir behind us that's drowning out our sin, why don't we spend some time and focus on our sin this week? Like, spend some time thanking God for the fact that He could save someone like, like you. Like, spend some time getting honest with yourself. Spend some time this week, rather than talking about the person that needs to be restored, let's spend some time praying for them. Let's spend some time asking God to restore them, to to give you wisdom as you talk to them. Because we have no right to judge someone until we've first been honest, and unless it's for the purpose of restoration. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. And I know it hasn't been long, but I pray that it has been helpful. God, your word is so practical. And and Lord, I pray that you'd help us this week not to judge anyone, not to be corrective toward anyone until we have first gotten honest with ourselves about our sin. We spend so much time saying, it's you, it's not me, when in reality, 
we should be saying, hey, it's me. It's not you. Look, you're not the only sinner in this world. God, we have to be honest and we have to be restored. We have no right to judge any other way. So Lord, help us this week as we do that. And we'll thank you for it. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And well, let's all stand together if we could, and we'll be dismissed tonight, and uh, pray that you have a great week. Please pray for me if you would. I'll be driving to Heartland this week to uh, preach at chapel down there, so I'm grateful for the opportunity, and uh, try to see if the Lord can use us down there. So, uh, let's uh, let's uh, be closed another word of prayer here as we get dismissed. I just hope you have a great week. What a great challenge, by the way, uh, something that we is such a need in our churches today. People rarely leave and separate and have uh, issues over doctrine. Rarely. It's like literally under 4%. It's mostly relationship issues. So it's a good thing for us to keep those things in check. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Be dismissed. Brother Jeremy, would you close us in prayer?